God is showing up. Really is. Big time. I don't know um, how God's going to use this for you, but when He showed it to me, it really, really ministered to my heart. And um, I've got to tell you a story, and it's kind of a backdoor into this, alright? It's something that happened last Sunday night. It was a dream. A very strange dream. But I dreamt basically that I was trying to reach for something on a pallet and something came up behind me, grabbed a hold of me, and was trying to rip me apart. Woke me up in the middle of the night and thought maybe my wife had snuggled up to me and was just, you know, all her arms around me. But she was over on her side. I was laying flat on my back. But I physically felt like something was trying to pull me through the bed. But in that moment I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, get behind me. And it left. And the Lord was kind of telling me, there's some sort of stuff going on this week. You need to be aware of it that there's a big attack coming. He wasn't wrong. And um, kept saying to God, well, what is it? And it wasn't just me. It wasn't just uh, my experience of that. There are many people who have been struggling this week, uh, fighting with things that they just couldn't understand why. I'm going to say something that might make you uncomfortable this morning, and I hope it does if you don't believe it. Because I want to change your status quo if you don't believe what I'm about to say. In truth, Scripture records it, and I am 100% on board that the demonic is real. Jesus didn't cast out demons that weren't real. That's what I'm trying to say. A lot of folks say, well, this stuff is all just hooey. It only happened at the time of Jesus. It's not true. Wicked forces still remain in this world and principalities and powers. Even Ephesians talks about we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We wrestle with wickedness and spiritual powers. So this morning I want to share with you something that I think you will understand because of that dream and the week that I've had and other people have had that God has begun to show me that there are people dealing with this. And yesterday I had an opportunity to, to minister to a fellow over the phone who was struggling. And, uh, and I just felt like God was saying, you need to do this. And, and it basically we had church on the phone by the end. And so I'm thankful that I was open to hearing the, this message ahead of time. Why? Because this story about the paralytic that was in trouble is a very, very interesting story. And, and, and taken at face value, it's fantastic. But taken with Luke, uh, Mark chapter 1, it becomes amazingly fantastic. And I want you to hear a couple things on this back story because Jesus is in Capernaum a few we don't know how long, but a few days before this event. And while he's there, he's called uh, Simon and Andrew to be disciples. And then Jesus goes to Simon's house. And then Jesus starts teaching in the temple in Capernaum. And as they taught, uh, Jesus taught in the temple that day. And it records in Mark 1.23, there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit. And that man started crying out and he said, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy Son 
the one of God. And Jesus rebuked that spirit saying, be quiet and get out of him. And with a loud shriek, the spirit left. After that, Peter went, I mean, excuse me, Jesus went to Peter's house and healed his mother, Peter's mother. And people were hearing Jesus' authority. And on that same day, in Mark 32, it says this, At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to Him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and you can put in parentheses, of Peter's house. The whole city gathered there and had brought the sick and the demon-possessed for healing. And it says, He healed many who were sick with the diseases, cast out many demons, and He did not allow those to speak because they knew Him. He didn't want His name known. Later, same chapter, He says, we need to go and preach the Word elsewhere. I can't seem to get any quiet over here. I can't preach the Word. Everybody wants healed, but they don't want to hear the Word. Let's go preach other towns. He begins to go. A leper comes to him as he's leaving and says to Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus looks at the man with compassion and says, I am willing. Remember, he's just left the city where he's stopping the healing so he can go preach the Word and stop healing. Just preach. They want to... Get the word out because he came to seek and save the lost and preach the gospel of repentance for the kingdom is at hand. And uh, this man now comes for healing. Jesus is going, I just left that town because I'm not trying to heal people. I'm trying to preach the word. But he says, if you're willing. And Jesus says, I'm still willing. Be clean. And he told him, don't tell anybody. And the man, of course, told it everywhere. And that's where this chapter ends. And the chapter we're on with them, Jesus entering back into Capernaum after several days. And it was heard he was back in Peter's house. Now, of course, this was just supposed to be a quiet visit, refreshing time. But immediately... Many gathered again. This time to hear him preach. There were so many there that there's no longer room to receive them, not even at the door, and he preached. And four men outside are carrying their friend on a bed to get healed. In chapter now listen, chapter one, he healed them all. Here comes another one. Where was he in chapter one? Probably what Jesus is going, why didn't you bring him when I was here earlier so I can just preach to this guy? But there was a greater story happening here. I don't know if you caught that when I said that about chapter 1. Is it said, they brought the sick and the demon possessed. They didn't come on their own to be healed. Here's a man paralyzed who can't bring himself and four men carry him. And they can't get him to Jesus. There's too many people overcrowded. So what do they do? 
They open up the roof, they climb, you know, climb on the roof, open up the thatches, and drop him down to Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus saw their faith. Not the man on the bed's faith, but the four men carrying him and said, after he saw those men's faith, he said to the man on the bed, Son, your sins are forgiven you. I'm laying in bed. I can't move. And Jesus says, Well, your sins are forgiven. Is that what you want to hear? Or do you want to hear, I thought you were a healing guy. What's going on here? You're rewarding their faith by telling me my sins are forgiven. Let me tell you a little story about that. They believed if you had sickness, you had sin. That sickness was a result of sin in your life. They did not believe there was any other cause for sickness but that. And the truth of the matter is, this man was indeed sick from sin. And now when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you, the scribes were there reasoning this thing out. Hmm. Forgiving sins. This man thinks he can do that. Who does he think he is? God? What a blasphemer this man is. And there's the scribes, they're the lawyers, you know, they're, they're always trying to figure out an angle. You know what I mean? Maybe y'all don't know what I mean, but lawyers are always looking for a loophole or a twist or a way to get their client what they want. The scribes are the legal people. Black and white, let's make it gray type thing. And so they were there talking to each other and Jesus perceived in His Spirit that this conversation was happening. And He looks over at them and says, why are you thinking like this in your heart? Why are you thinking this? What's easier for me to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and take your bed and go home. It's the same thing. That you may know that I have power on earth to do this. Then he looks at the man and says, I say, get up, take your bed, and go home. And what's he do? He gets up, takes his bed, and goes home. Paralyzed. No longer. And here are the scribes, mad. Because he blasphemed. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if you get this. A man has been healed, and they're mad. Because the man blasphemed to do it. If you're the one being healed, are you worried about how it happened? Are you really? Are you going to, you know, was it because he said I forg- my sins were forgiven, or is it because he told me to get up that I'm better? Uh, or did he actually forgive him? Are you going to think about that? You're going to go, I can walk. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. And here's these guys in the corner. He healed them the wrong way. (laughs) This is not good. 
This is a bad thing. Is it? Is that bad? Here they are analyzing the situation rather than praising God. Do you think they're missing the big picture? They're swallowing a gnat and straining a camel? Or do you think they're swallowing a camel and straining out a gnat? I'll tell you what they're doing. They're so caught up with ways they think things should be that they don't see how God does them. We miss God's work in this world when we think we know how He's supposed to do things. I've heard a lot of people say this demonic stuff and and casting out demons, that's not real. Exorcism, that's just movies. That's not something real in this world. I promise you when you come face-to-face encounter with it, you know differently. And all of a sudden you start to go, what was that? i got to think about that. I'm not sure. Let me tell you something. God knows what He's doing. You don't necessarily know what God's doing unless He shows you or tells you. But He knows what He's doing. He knows the plans that He has for you. He knows the plans that He has for others. And He's working very hard to show you that He knows and says, trust Me in this. Do you think that the scribes had little faith? If they believed in the power of God and they saw it happen, wouldn't they recognize it as the power of God? Well, only God can do that, but He did it the wrong way, so God did not. Therefore, the man must not have been sick and he was faking it. I call that analysis paralysis. We get that when we don't want to walk forward with God. We get that when we don't want our faith to have substance. We look at all the angles, try to make it black and white, try to say what's coincidental. It's something that, you know, is explainable until it isn't. But Jesus said to the man, Your sins are forgiven. Do you think, because of their culture, which actually believed that his sickness was from sin, that he caused his own demise? Yes, he did. And there's a lot of us sitting here today that will say, I'm a victim of my choices. Or my circumstances are the way because of the way I chose them. And, and I didn't choose wisely. And we live with that regret and the shame of poor choices. And I'm sure laying on that bed day after day, he would say, if only I had done this or that, then I wouldn't be like this today. Jesus was in that same house in the same town a week or so previous, and they didn't bring Him. Do you think maybe they didn't bring him because they thought he was a sinner and wasn't worthy of grace? Do you think maybe that this time he cried out loud enough and said, I don't care if you don't want me to go. I want to be healed. 
Do you think that their cry finally, his cry finally heard their ears of four men who were willing, if not necessarily enthusiastic, about getting in there? And do you think maybe they decided to cut holes in the roof and drop him down through the roof because they were tired of hearing him cry out, please take me? Do you think maybe they were thinking, maybe I can finally get, get if Jesus will heal this guy, then we won't have to take care of him all the time and listen to his crying about stuff all the time. And so they said, oh, we believe Jesus can do this. And this man's a sinner, but we still believe Jesus can do this. Maybe that's the scenario why Jesus said it was their faith, not the man's faith. Man on the bed didn't have faith. He had fear. He had regret. He had shame because of all the things he had done in his life that he didn't think God could accept him. And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you to the man so that that man would know that God saw him as he was and wiped the slate clean. Do you get that? And if the sickness caused the infirmity, then the sin, I mean the sin called the, caused the infirmity, then that forgiveness of that sin would release him from the infirmity. This is what Jesus was telling the scribes. What's different to say? Your sins are forgiven, therefore the infirmity is gone. Or to say your infirmity is gone, and the only reason that could happen is because your sins are forgiven. Jesus said, which one's better? Either way, it's the same thing. You can't move forward under a burden of sin. But if Jesus says you can now move forward, it's because you're out from under it. It's true. So He tells the man this, your sin. He said, you, you read it in there, don't you? Son, your sins are forgiven you. That tells us His sickness truly was from sin. And I believe when the scribes were arguing and reasoning back and forth with one another that we're no different in many situations. Part of us likes to analyze, question, debate, argue rather than choose to believe. Why? Because if we choose to believe there's a different change in our life that we don't know how we're going to be. And we're going to have to make a decision that changes the rest of our life. The scribe in us denies that demons are real. No, no, those don't exist. <laughs> you know, that was just, you know, coincidence. The scribe in us calls healings coincidental or explainable or looks for scientific reasoning to figure out how it happened. It minimizes miracles. After they've been done for a while, they say, well, I don't know if that really happened like that now. I'm not sure. I think it did. But there's probably a, a reason for why it happened. I just don't know what it is. The scribe in us challenges the notion of the power of God and of the active Holy Spirit now and in the world around us. And the scribe in us sits quiet while the rest of the world rejoices what God's doing. You ever been in a church service and you felt like you're the only one who didn't get it? 
Like you were there and you're going, why are these people happy? Why are they singing? I'm not going to sing. You heard my singing? God says make a joyful noise. You know what? There's some of us that sing and it is a croak, but it's joyful. Make a joyful croak. It's a noise. A screech, a scratch, a squall, or whatever it is. But do it for God. Make a joyful noise. But here we are sitting there going, no, I just don't want to embarrass myself. God says make a joyful noise even if you can't do it melodically. Here's a good joyful noise. But the smile on your face, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands, right? That's what it says. We learn this as a kid. We don't have to necessarily sing. We can go, Amen, with a joyful noise. Yes, Lord. If you can't sing, shout it. It's a good way to let folks know you're engaged. But the scribe in us makes us callous to this stuff. And we come to church and we sit in the pew and we go, as soon as this is over, I'm going to be doing this, this, and this. So as soon as it's done, I'm going to be going doing that. And, and we're missing what's going on. I'm telling you, for the last four years now, we've seen miracle after miracle in this room, including last Sunday. And folks are going, well, no, that wasn't a miracle. You know, he just... He just there was an attentive nurse and, and people giving him juice and therefore it wasn't. It was a miracle. Amen. Whether you agree or not, Amen. it was an opportunity to see God at work in our presence. All of us witnessed this. Amen. If you say, no, no, I can explain it away. It's describing you that has been under possession by a demon telling you, you don't see this as God. Amen. If God does something and you don't see it as God, there's something in you that needs to get out. I'm telling you, whether it's a thought process, an emotion, a belief, it needs to go. And it needs to go yesterday. Because it's not welcome in the faith. It's telling you to doubt, to question, and to say God's not doing what God's doing. This church can't do that. You know, we're Methodist. We're not apostolic Pentecostals. That stopped in the New Testament. I've heard that statement over and over. This is New Testament stuff. Stopped when Jesus died. No, it didn't. Oh, that's right. It stopped when the apostles died. No, it didn't. We're all apostles. And we're not dead. We're alive in Jesus Christ. This is what the Word tells us. And describing us, it says, we refuse to acknowledge that I need grace. I don't need that stuff. God heard my prayer when I prayed to Him. I don't need salvation anymore. I've got it already. That statement comes out of my mouth and I go, where does that come from? I still need salvation. I've been praising the Lord off and on, messing up and doing all these things for 30-some years now. How old am I? Yeah, 30-some years. And I still need salvation. Just as much or more than the day I first believed. When they we sang today, are ye able? In my testimony, you may remember that I was backing out of that sanctuary, redeemed soul, singing that chorus, hearing angels sing it with me. This morning, I was listening and praying and saying, God, I need to hear him again. It's been a tough week. Can you do it? And I listened rather than sing for a chorus, and I heard them. That's why I tell you there are angels in this room. I heard them. And I just 
just fell before the Lord this morning in tears as we sang that song. Why? Because the scribe in me says, oh, that angels weren't really doing that, and so I've got to have convincing again. God, show me you're real once again. Show me the truth. The scribe in us says, we can't admit to our faults without feeling unsafe because people will judge us, reject us, or not like us. And church, therefore, is unsafe, and so is God. Because if I tell God this, then He'll begin to say how bad of a person I am, or people will judge me and I'm not welcome anymore, or I can't do that because if people saw me as I was and how I thought, they would not want me anymore. The scribe in us tells us that it's not the Holy Spirit. It's the voice of fear, doubt, and shame. And those are not from God. They are from the enemy. Those thoughts are wicked from the enemy. And they need cast out. So preacher, are you saying that if I think negative about others and don't love them, I have an evil spirit? I'm saying you've got demonic in you. You're not godly influenced. What else is left? You got one or two. If it ain't A, it's B. I'm wearing black and white because that's black and white to me. If you got God, you got God. If you don't have God, you got the other. If you're not influenced by the Holy Spirit in love, you're influenced by the force of wickedness. Bottom line. It's not hard to figure out. I, there is nothing like in the middle. You got one or the other. A or B. Which one do you want to be? A? Your choice. Not really. God chose you. Some people think that the church is a place where you got to make sure it stays in line. You ever heard those folks? Oh my gosh, I've seen preachers. Not just one, many that say, we got to do it this way, and if you're violating it this way and you're not doing it the right way, the way I think it should be done, you're not doing it right, you need to do something somewhere else. And they ruleize and dogmatize the church into paralysis. It's a no wonder God didn't do anything for 400 years before Jesus came. All the scribes and Pharisees that had risen up had paralyzed the people. Made it all rules and regulations. You just can't live like that. But can you imagine a pastor going, okay, over here, you're starting to talk like you have a Holy Spirit in you and you're doing it out of turn. You haven't prayed and told me about it. You need to be quiet. Puts his thumb on it. Pushes it down. You ever heard stuff like that? People making it all about what's right and what's wrong in their eyes rather than consulting the Holy Scriptures and and seeking the Lord together. And, and, and when we become so dogmatic like that, we become judgmental. Critical. And that critical spirit in us is not from God. If you ever find yourself criticizing someone, say, get behind me, Satan. Right now. This critical spirit is not from God. God offers constructive answers when something is wrong. Here's a good example. I was at a church in Georgia pastoring and the carpet was old. Bad old. 
And people were complaining about the church. People not coming because the carpet was bad. They're not coming because the carpet's bad. I said, no, it's because this church doesn't reach out. They don't love people real well. They said, oh, that's mean. I said, no, it's the truth. Because as a pastor, I felt judged and condemned about the day I walked into the day I left, just about. And so they put the new carpet in. It was great. It was beautiful carpet. And one person said, not thick enough. Another person said, well, when the sun hits, it's going to fade. We had to replace it. We shouldn't have done it. All these critical spirits and none of them saying, thank the Lord we had people who loved this church enough who came out of the woodwork to donate to this very low-income church to put this on and bless this church with God's blessing of a carpet we've been praying for instead of being critical about it. This kind of criticalness wasn't from God. As a young pastor, I didn't know how to stand up to that. I didn't. And it saddens me now to realize that that church to this day is still critical. If it's still open, I don't know, but it was really dwindling fast. But I want to share with you something. Each one of us has something inside of us that doesn't need to be there. Whatever it is, a doubt, a question, a fear, an anxiety, uh, anything that it might be that keeps you from fully giving your life to Jesus Christ every moment of the day. I, I don't know what it is for you. But I want you to sell out to Jesus. <laughs> I, I was when I typed that this morning, I said, I can't tell people to sell out. They're going to think I'm being cheap. I said, no, I'm not being cheap. Sell all you have and get the pearl the greatest price. Sell all you have and get the treasure in the field that's worth more than anything else. Sell everything. Get rid of everything else that isn't Jesus in your life and see what's left. If it isn't godly, holy, remove it. Almost sounds like a contrary or a contradictory statement, doesn't it? Get rid of everything that isn't Jesus. Well, Pastor, I'd have to get rid of this, this, and this. I said, well, good. Use it. Sell it. Give it to the poor. Whatever you need to do. Because something you won't, that you hold on to won't let you surrender. And that man and that man. Let me tell you how this works, alright? I could say to you this morning, your sins are forgiven. I can tell you that because Jesus Christ did that on the cross. We know this. But you could marginalize that minimize it, make it of no effect by saying, well, I know He did it for everybody. I know He did me too. And, and not make it personal. Or I could say, get up and start living for Jesus instead of yourself. Your sins are forgiven to live for others, not you. Let me, let me break this down in the simplest way I know that I can. It's not difficult. The man's laying on the bed, paralyzed. And he's going, God... Is there anything I can do? Anything I can do to get rid of this mess? This sinful life? This brokenness that has put me in this position? Is there anything I can do? And the answers he keeps getting are, you're a sinner. You sinned. And you're there because of what you've done. You can't undo that.
I want you to hear that story if it were played fast forward to this century, mm -hmm. to today. There's someone here today who is paralyzed and thinks that they can't change. Or that God isn't able to help their situation. And they're saying, God, what can I do? I'll do anything. If I, I would just don't want this mess anymore. It hurts too bad. I, I'd like to live again. I'd like to be free to be me. And all the friends say, well, you know, just trust God. Pray about it. You know, uh, read the Bible. And, and that's not going to be the answer that that person wants to hear. That person needs to say, Will you bring me to Jesus? Will you help me find it? Will you carry me if I can't make it? Will you show me how to get there because I don't know how anymore? I don't think I'm welcome. Will you take me to heaven of faith? Because I don't. And that's where we're at. And then we got the folks on the other side saying, they're right, they're not worthy of Jesus. <laughs> and if God heals that person, it'll be a coincidence. And if God changes their life, it'll be temporary. I don't know about you, but I'm done analyzing stuff. I'm just letting God do the work. And I pray that you'll let Him do the same for you because you got some folks you need to bring to Jesus. And if you got legs, you can do yourself first. Say, God, I've been analyzing this stuff to death. I'm done with that. Use me. I want to be a vessel that you can use to bring others to your Son. And God, if you can forgive me and restore me and bring me back to hope, and fullness and joy in my life. Do it. And I'll do the same for others because you did it for me. Amen. And that's a prayer God can answer. Mm -hmm. And that's how God has asked us today. Are we willing to be vulnerable? with our weaknesses, our sins, our brokenness, the stuff we think people won't like about us if they knew it. And say, God, here it is. Here it is. Help me get rid of this mess that I can live for you all I am and not have anything holding me back. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this week you... Uh, you showed me a whole lots of truths I didn't want to hear. Didn't, didn't think I needed to hear them. Didn't want to hear them. They were too painful. And yet, in the midst of that, you said, this is happening. And I'm here. If you'll just come to me and rebuke the mess in your life and turn to me. To turn your eyes upon me and not look at the mess. But look at me, the author and finisher of your salvation. You kept telling me that, and I kept going the other direction, God. And so many folks here, even in this room, can understand how that feels. Yes, I know the right way, but I keep going the wrong way. Yes, I know I'm supposed to love others, but my mouth speaks other things. 
Yes, I know your spirit's in me, but my brain speaks before my heart does. God, this morning I ask that you would begin to heal this congregation individually and as a whole, that we would indeed truly be light to this dark world because there are so many wicked forces we face, so many broken lives, including our own, that need your restoration. And thank you for how we got here today. Whoever brought us here, thank you for that. Now do your work in us, that we may do your work and help others. And never ever let us forget that we need you. And you can do the work that you can do, regardless of if we understand it or try to analyze it. And in the name of Jesus Christ, Heavenly Father, your Son, I rebuke all those thoughts that say this isn't true. I rebuke all those things that say that, that the word that is going forth today isn't of you. Heavenly Father, that you would rest with your Holy Spirit the truth on each heart today. 